I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Hi, everybody. Welcome to my alchemical bromance. I'm Joey Harrison, and yeah. this is... I'm Eric Arneson. <laughs> that one's and joining us today is uh, Chuck Dunning, the author of Contemplative Masonry. Uh, Chuck, Chuck, and, and myself, and, and Eric, we we've known each other for several years and um, had a lot of good times together. So, uh, Chuck, would you like to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I, um, uh, you know, where do you start with something like that? I, I you know, I, I think the thing that most people would be interested in knowing about me is that, um, you know, I had. Um, a kind of a background that didn't really prepare me for all of this contemplative stuff. I've heard some of your stories, guys, over the years, and and I think um, out of all of us, probably Eric is the weirdest of the bunch in terms of certainly in terms of longevity. <laughs> sure. And uh, but um, but I did come by some of this stuff naturally, um, and um, developed a, a, a pretty serious interest in contemplative matters early in life actually but didn't get serious about it until I was uh, in my 20s and um, and for me that was something I was looking for when I came to Freemasonry and that's kind of how my whole story with all of this begins sure yeah actually I was going to ask you because I seem to remember hearing a story from you um, that you had previous experience with con some sort of contemplative work or some sort of esoteric practice when you came to Freemasonry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Do you want to tell us about it or is it a secret? It's okay if it's a secret. <laughs> well, there, there might be some things that I omit. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, like I said, I had kind of developed an interest in, in these kinds of things at a young age. I think one of the stories that I have told a number of times and that is, you know, gets that, that plays well with Masons is that um, I grew up reading Pike's Morals and Dogma. It was on the family bookshelf. My dad didn't mind that, you know, it, it was a book that was supposed to be available to the public. Oh, and, just, uh, so, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we are being joined by... Uh, our third yeah. co-host, Matt Anthony. Hey, Matt. He or or Anthony is how he how oh he's, he's there the, now. The universe. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear yes. you now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Matt Anthony. <laughs> how you doing, brother? Anthony has entered the building. <laughs> good, good. You know, now that now that Matt's here, I'm going to open my beer. And while you do that, Aww. I'm going to figure out my technical issues. So You're having technical issues? Yeah, I'm trying to get my feed recording. Okay, I'm already uh -oh. recording, so you can totally just start whenever you want. Okay, so you, you're recording my feed as well? <laughs> yeah, that was super loud. Okay. That's no, okay. It's okay. Be, be enthusiastic. Okay, so I don't have... <laughs> there's no need for me to uh, record on my end? Uh, no, I guess not. I mean, you can if you want to. I know that of the three of us, you are the most recording savvy. So, you know. If you I think since you've already got it going, we'll, and you can see the levels, then we're probably good. Okay, cool. I can't see the levels. I'm just doing it from the command line. It's <laughs> command line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we were just making Chuck tell us his uh, origin story. Ah. So, Chuck, I think you were 
to the part where you were uh, 20. You were 20. Yeah. Yeah. In, in this lifetime, right? Right, right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, basically I had, uh, you know, I had grown up with an interest uh, that had been developed by Morals and Dogma um, and uh, Lightfoot's Manual of the Lodge. Um, and so by the time I was in my 20s, I was already interested in esoteric things and uh, and the whole idea of meditation and contemplative practice was particularly interesting to me because I, I got that, that, that that was the key for uh, real depth of insight and experience in these different esoteric traditions. And, mm -hmm. and so I kind of messed around a little bit with some different kinds of meditation and stuff, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s that um, I started to take it more seriously and get some some real instruction. Um, so I was taking a college course called um, the Ancient Wisdom Traditions with Dr. John F. Miller III, my philosophy professor at the University of North Texas, and he taught um, meditation techniques. He taught a a, a not for credit seminar in meditation, and so I studied with him and. Um, and 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 while I was doing that not for credit seminar in meditation, I was also taking his course in the ancient wisdom traditions in which he referenced meditation a lot. But that was a that was a kind of a review of the Western esoteric tradition. And um, and my term project in in that class was um, to to basically do an analysis of Freemasonry as an initiatic tradition hmm. and uh, an esoteric initiatic tradition and and um, and I use morals and dogma and some other texts for that research and so by the time the the semester was over um, I was ready to petition I'd been surrounded by Masons all my life my dad was a Mason my grandfather was a Mason my father-in-law was a Mason Masons all around me and so I petitioned I, I gave gave my dad um, the news that I was ready and he practically whipped one out of his back pocket <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you know and, and then got into Freemasonry and joined with the idea that you know I would find out that all of these Masons that I had known all of these years were doing contemplative practices and, and you know spiritual disciplines and stuff and that um, I you know that I would I would finally be mentored in that, you know, secret tradition. And um, it's good it to know that you were just as naive as we were. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> did, did not find that. Wait, so you're trying to tell me that your dad afterwards didn't be like, Chuck, it is now time for you to, to see the secret room with our altars and black robes in the back of the house. You didn't. Well, I told you there were some there were some things I wouldn't talk about. Oh right, okay, okay. So some things, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that never happened. You know, the the secret room in our house was full of guns and stuff like that. So oh, so nice. it was it was basically like any other Texas house and most Oregon houses. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, what did you pick to drink? I'm drinking uh, New Belgium Ranger. Oh, IPA. That is a classic. That or it, I guess it's yeah. 
classic might not be a good word because it's actually not a super old beer. It's they've only been making it since two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine. Yeah, oh, look at the. Beer. But I, I love it. For me, it's it's the perfectly balanced IPA for me. I love it. Oh yeah. I, I like that one a lot too, uh, and it was an interesting departure for New Belgium because before this they had mostly stuck with Belgian styles, mm-hmm. um, maybe not entirely, but but I remember uh, how excited the beer reps were when they started having this IPA, and they're like, finally people in Oregon will start drinking our beer, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they did. I mean, it sold really well. It it's a it's a very tasty beer. How about you? Yeah. yeah. How about you, yes. Joey? You were drinking out of some strange-looking vessel uh, earlier. It looked. Uh, that is a that, that's a Starbucks tumbler. A Starbucks insulated. Yeah. Can you show it to us? Show it so, in the video. Like, can we get a better look? Uh, here you go. Oh, very nice. It's you can't hardly see anything in this feed, but yeah. So it's just to keep it cold. But I'm having the Inversion IPA. Oh, from Deschutes. From Deschutes. Deschutes. Yeah. That's a good one too. It's it's good, it's good stuff. And Matt, what flavor of La Croix do you have tonight? No La Croix tonight, but I am uh, I'm drinking some locally roasted coffee. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> You're not allowed to be here anymore. <laughs> is, it, is it delicious? Next, next time, light to us. Um, I'm drinking... The... You guys have got to guard the West Gate here. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, so even with all the coffee, you are still the last one here. So the caffeine, it must not be affecting you very much. Um, I'm drinking the uh, salted uh, caramel stout from Breakside Brewing. They're they're a Portland brewery, and they're pretty good. You know, it's pretty rare that they go wrong. Matt, you went there with me um, once. I did. It's a cool place. Uh, I've liked their beer for a while before we got to go there. And now... Wait, did you say mm, you, you don't? Now you don't like the beer anymore? Yeah, now that I've gone, I hate it. Uh, no, I, <laughs> it's old news. <laughs> um, so two weeks ago, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good. Potential I, competitor. I've never had this beer before, and it's. Um, I guess I haven't paid very much attention to it. Hold on a second. You haven't had that one before. So speaking of beer in in Texas, Chuck, what's uh, what's the craft? brew scene like down there it's been a long time since i've been there it's 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 really starting to grow um i almost chose a local beer for tonight um but i really wanted an ipa and so the local brewery is rar in fort worth there's also revolver and a couple of others but rar is is the one that's actually in downtown well not downtown but centrally located in fort worth and and a very good brewery um one of my favorite beers there is the uh, Texas Red, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a really good beer any time of the year. I really like it a lot. They also have a winter warmer that is, um, it's, um, you know, kind of like an English brown ale. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, but their IPA is called Storm Cloud. It's okay, but it doesn't, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't come close for me to the to the ranger yeah that that makes sense uh which when i so chuck uh i was down in texas visiting you several years ago and we went to a brewery didn't we um i think we went to rar yeah okay what does yeah what does rar stand for 
Is it? It's well, Rar and Sons. Huh? Yeah, it's Rar and Sons. That's a that's an actual name. Oh, like a German name, like R yeah. R A H R. Okay, that's it. Cool. Yeah. Uh huh. Cool. Speaking of Fort Worth, I think you, I think I've told you guys this story before, but I'm gonna tell it again since it's being recorded. <laughs> I was <clears throat> one of the first weeks when I was in Fort Worth when I was uh, doing some work down there, sitting at a stoplight in downtown Fort Worth, and a giant herd of cattle comes running through the streets yep. in downtown Fort Worth with cowboys on horses chasing them. <laughs> and I, I, could, I couldn't believe what was happening. <laughs> I don't know if they just got loose from the cattle yards or what happened. but it was well, that's, a, that's a daily show that they put on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. I remember it was pretty fun to go to the, uh, the part of Fort Worth that's like the old stockyard area. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. I still have my red. At least I think I still have the red plastic cup that I drank Shinerbach out of there on the street. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so Chuck, I have been watching your other podcasts. You've been on a lot of them. Have, is this your third or your fourth or your tenth? Like you? Well, let's see. Um, yeah. I've done. I started with Laudable Pursuit. Mm-hmm. I did 357 Productions. I did um, Masonic Light, After Lodge. This is my fifth one. Okay, I have not listened to all of them. Uh, but I was assuming that you know all of those other ones were Masonic podcasts. And this podcast, even though all of us are Freemasons, is not a Masonic podcast. Right. So, uh, so your book, Contemplative Masonry, is it the sort of book that a non-Mason would enjoy? Would a non-Mason get much out of it? Um, I think that's possible. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I do know some non-Masons that have purchased the book, um, but there are things that, you know, I assume that the reader understands. Mm-hmm. Um, there are references, like a lot of books that are written for Masonic audiences, I, I make references that I assume that the reader will know what I'm talking about, and I don't offer explanations for the uninitiated. And um, um, and so I think what it would really offer more than anything else to a non-Mason is a view into um, understanding what the psychology of Freemasonry is, because that's chapter one of the book, mm-hmm. and um, and what it is about Freemasonry that that qualifies it as an esoteric tradition, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's chapter two of the book. And then the exercises, particularly if someone has a pretty good familiarity with a breadth of different kinds of contemplative practices, the exercises and the explanations for how they relate to the degrees will offer a lot of insight to non-Masons about, um, about what, the, what the potential is for spiritual experience within the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there will be some things that, unless a person is very well read and like has you know, access to exposures of different sorts, they're, they're probably going to miss some things. Well, I was just reading this section on dream interpretation. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty interesting and definitely would be useful to uh, to non-Masons. Um, mm. Is that something that you learned through your counseling practice? or? Yeah. yeah. You know, those, 
those dream interpretation techniques are are things that I have been using as a as a counselor and a therapist for for a long long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one of them, I mean, there there's actually kind of two basic approaches, but but essentially the whole interpretive process is really very similar to what's practiced in Gestalt therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a kind of a little bit of a Jungian flavor as well. Um, but uh, for the most part, it, it really tends to more run along Gestalt lines because it's, uh, it's Jungian is not extremely prescriptive in dream interpretation, but it's definitely more so than Gestalt. Okay. I, I'm, I feel a little lost. What's the difference? So can you explain the difference between Jungian and Gestalt uh, therapy then, or Jungian yeah. Gestalt? Yeah, I can approach? talk a little okay. bit about that. So, so the Jungian approach to, to therapy begins with the whole theory of archetypes. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he takes essentially a kind of neo-Freudian um, uh, perspective on the psyche, which means that, you know, that there is this thing called the unconscious. Um, and, um, and, and, and then expands it to say that within the unconscious, there are, uh, we can, we can deduce that there are, uh, these things for lack of a better term, we'll just use things, (laughs) these things called archetypes, um, and archetypes, um, the idea of archetypes have been around, the basic idea of archetypes have been around for a very long time. Pythagoras and his idea of numbers, Plato specifically used the word, uh, talking about the, the sense of, of that there is some sort of ideal form um, that, uh, that guides the manifestation of things in the physical plane. And uh, the, this ideal form exists at a kind of super rational level of manifestation and um, and uh, and Jung said that you can look at human psyches and human behavior um, and and behavior is obviously a product of the psyche you can look at that and you can see that there are these real common patterns that transcend culture um, and um, and and that and that they are out, and that they come from some source, or that they are given rise by some source that is outside the control of the conscious mind. Mm. The, the, the conscious mind actually reacts to them rather than controls them, and can interact with them intentionally also. But at first, until you become conscious of them and you start to intentionally try to engage them, that you basically are just reacting to the to the effect of the archetypes on your psyche and um, and so in the dream interpretation of the Jungian approach they they try to include Jung's basic understanding of the archetypes and, and particularly those that are relevant to the par- personality like uh, persona shadow anima or animus and um, syzygy or the wild wise old man or wise old woman and, and and i can break those down the persona being the mask that the personality wears uh in whatever context it happens to be in socially and and the um 
the shadow being all those things that the personality tries to deny about itself and to exclude from itself, um, but they're still there at least in potential. Um, and then the anima or the animus representing the kind of polar opposite of whatever the gender identity is of, of the given psyche, um, uh, which represents the path to wholeness the, the whole Jungian model is very much about integrating all of these different uh, aspects of the psyche and as many of the different archetypes as bring them all into harmony with each other. Um, and, um, and so that means resolving oppositions, um, bringing harmony and balance between things that seem to be opposite from each other. So wor working to integrate the shadow, working to integrate the anima for uh, males for for people who who identify as male and masculine, their their deeper um, archetype would be the anima, and for females it would be the animus, which would have a masculine quality. The anima has a feminine quality. It's actually the Greek word for soul, and um, or, or Latin, one of the two. You, one of you guys will have to tell me that. It's Latin. And, and it's Latin. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's Latin. Um, and then, um, yes, because Greek is psyche. Um, and, uh, uh, and then for females, it's animus, because, because that archetype would be masculine. And then beyond that, there's the archetype of wholeness and complete integration, the whole self. Uh, Wait. That's, yeah? So you've, you were talking about integrating opposites, uh, yeah. and that's sort of the, the work of of Jungian therapy or sort of the goal of a person going through Jungian therapy? Essentially, yes, is to is to integrate. Mm -hmm. So then if all of the archetypes, the archetypes that you were mentioning so far all seem to uh, be things that need to be integrated, and is the archetype of the whole person then a separate type of archetype? Is it the integrated archetype? So is it one that doesn't really, we don't really manifest or possess until the integration has happened? Well, it, it actually kind of works behind the scenes as, as, as a kind of guide to the integration process all along. Huh. Um, like, uh, uh, <laughs> like a... Like a holy guardian angel. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Or a, yeah. Or, a right. or a genius, like the, the personal genius, sort of like the, yes. the higher self that is sort of telling you, right. if you want to be groovy, do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, slapping you around if you, you know, if you start straying away from wholeness too much. Uh-huh. And, um... I don't know anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, and so uh, yeah, and so what happens is is that it's always there and it's always exerting its influence. But because its influence is about integration, it's not until you achieve a certain level of integration that you really get to more directly experience it, um, uh, and even begin to the personality even begin to identify with it to a certain extent and say, okay, yeah, I recognize that this is like this is closer to my true self or, or some other term you might use for, for whatever that wholeness or that greater possibility of who and what you are actually is. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, and so, you know, the, there are definitely course correspondences there between the whole process of moving from 
a vision of the holy guardian angel and Malkut in the Kabbalistic path, the Hermetic Kabbalah, all the way up to knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel in Teferith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's there's a really close parallel there to the integration process in Jungian therapy. So in Jungian therapy, when you're doing dream interpretation, you're looking at the characters in your dream as representing these archetypes. So for example, a man, a person who identifies as male and masculine, if he's dreaming of a woman, then he's probably going to be at least a little suspicious that that's a representation of his anima. Mm -hmm. Um, If he's dreaming, if he's having a dream in which there's a bad guy, or somebody that's causing problems or playing tricks on him or something like that, well, he's going to probably consider that as a representation of his shadow. And so you automatically kind of have this interpretive framework that's built into Jungian dream interpretation. With Gestalt, you don't have that. Gestalt is, 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 is much closer to kind of a pure phenomenological approach to uh, psychotherapy and by phenomenological I mean just encountering experience as directly as possible and so and so what you have in gestalt is um, rather than uh, assume that different characters are going to align with some particular meaning uh, like an archetype you you, you try to go back into the dream and even become the different elements of the dream. Imagine yourself as the different characters. Imagine yourself oh. as, as more closely interacting with those different characters. And, um, and you know, and this is a meditative uh, process. Um, and, uh, and so if, if you, you know, you were talking about having read that, you can see how mm-hmm. the Gestalt approach directly influences what I'm offering there in the book. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Uh, all right. Well, that's, that's interesting because in your book, you've got a, um, uh, there's a section called Let There Be Light about imagination. Um, yes. Do you want to describe a little bit of how, how imagination plays plays such a, a major role in, in the, the development of your of your spiritual self boy that's <laughs> because I, I know for me personally it, it, starting years ago in the beginning it's just you know it, it's something you do you're trying to imagine the stuff and you know after doing it for for a very long time it's it's almost second nature yeah and and but when you, when you try to describe things to people and maybe you're you're coaching somebody along it's it's a real challenge for people to, some people, to imagine things vividly um, in that way. Is it, That's true. Yeah. And, but, but those skills can be developed. I mean, everybody sure. has imagination. And some people are more naturally talented with it than others, just like anything. But, um, but everybody has probably more capacity to develop their imagination than, than they actually do. Do you think and, that we're hindered a little bit by the way imagination is belittled by our society now? Like imagination is sort of, uh, I feel like a lot of times it's brushed off as a children children's game or yeah. or the domain of crazy writers. 
in right artists. yeah we we I think we kind of have a love-hate relationship with imagination as a society, mm -hmm. because on the one hand, we we admire and are dazzled by the uh, products of imagination that show up in different forms, like different kinds of art, uh, whether it's music, painting, or sculpture, or dance. Um, you know, we we put a lot of money into imagination, particularly in the form of marketing and advertising. There's a lot of imagination that goes into that. Ooh, now you're starting um, to, now you're starting to sound like, uh, uh, Juan <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Let me see if I can change things here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's not bad. He had great ideas. You know, he was, <laughs> yeah. it's true though. If you think of every, everything from our cell phones to the computers, there's, everything started in the world of imagination right. and worked its way down into the physical realm. Oh, right. It's yeah, pretty sure. important. Yeah. But see, the thing is, is that in our society, we pretty much try to enslave imagination to profit motives. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and, and we don't allow the imagination to run wild strictly for the purpose of, and, and I'm not saying that running wild, totally running wild is, is, is the only thing to do with imagination to develop it or to, to take advantage of it. But we don't allow all of the potentials of imagination to come out because we limit it by creating this little narrow funnel um, that it's, you know, that it's only worth tapping into if it makes somebody money. Right. And, um, uh, and it can, obviously, right? It obviously does. But we miss a lot of things. I mean, think about all of the things that have been accomplished in science that we haven't really profited from um, or initially didn't really profit from. There was no profit motive, but people just wanted to use their imaginations in the process of discovery. And I think that's one of the great keys to get back to your question, Joey, is that one of the things that imagination does for us is it is it dramatically facilitates the process of discovery and um and particularly since we're talking about things of the esoteric nature what we're really talking about in psychological terms is discovery of oneself and since oneself intersects with everything else then we wind up you know coming to that old saw that old esoteric saw of know yourself and right. you shall know the ways of all the gods, you know, and um, and so there's there's where imagination is important. Imagination is is a, a wonderful tool to discovering the self and discovering uh, the interrelatedness of the self with everything else. So uh, I'm reading this book. Uh, called Big Magic. Eric was with me when I bought it. He made fun of me at the brewery afterwards. Uh, I, you know, I got my job, don't I? <laughs> you do. The universe buries strange jewels deep within us all and then stands back to see if we can find them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she says that in a chapter where she's talking about kind of just letting, letting your imagination run wild, but bringing it back to what, you know, what you're passionate about and things like that. So mm -hmm. yeah. anyway, yeah. I love that quote. I'm sorry. I it's made actually, fun of you, Joey. it's a fan, it's a fantastic book. I, I take it all back. I totally take it all back. Here, you can read the whole book in like 30 minutes too. It's a quick read. Wow, What's not 30 the name minutes. Of it again? I'm just kidding. Big, uh, big, magic. big magic. It's the same same author that wrote 
Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, why I made fun that. of you. I yeah, I, I knew that. it. <laughs> <laughs> See, Eric, if you were in touch with your anima, you would love Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, I touch my uh, anima all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I cried like a baby in that movie. I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I actually, I don't think I remember, uh, I don't think I've seen Eat, Pray, Love, nor do I know very much about it, what it's about. I, uh, when I, when you mentioned the title of the book, I associated it with whatever that movie that Julia Roberts was in. That's it. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. I I didn't read the book, but the movie, the movie was good, at least at the time when I watched it. I've read the book. I I don't really recall if I've seen the movie, so. You wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> she found herself in Indonesia, so oh, totally. I kind of yep. connected with that story. And yeah. I remember there being food pretty often, but I don't remember a lot of prayer. But, yeah, um, yeah. Well, she, there's more of that in the book. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a prayer in a really broad sense. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay. It's interesting, Eric, because I actually I bought that book on a whim, found it randomly at that uh, cool shop in Portland. Uh-huh. The next, it was a couple of days later. No, no, no. Actually, it was a couple of weeks later. I'd forgotten about the book, found it, and I, I thought, wow, I, I, okay, I need to read this book at some point. That day, I'm driving to work listening to a podcast about marketing, speaking of marketers and imagination, uh-huh. and this, the, this girl that uh, is very involved with digital marketing and and helping coach people. She goes on and on about how she just read this book and it's like this amazing book about creativity. And that's the one. So big I started reading it. Cool. Just let the magic happen, Eric. You're going to read the book. You're going to love it. Oh, geez. I'll put it on my (laughs) list. (laughs) I got to finish Chuck's book first, you know? Yeah. I mean, I read the original way, way back in the day. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, that's actually an interesting story, too, just how the, this whole thing came about. Yeah, can you tell us a little you know, bit about that? You know, I could. Um, Eric, I'd really be interested to hear your recollections of those early days and the beginnings of all of that. All right. Well, I mean, I met you through Jay Kinney, yep. whom I suppose if we have... Uh, esotericists listening to our podcast they'll say oh jay kinney i remember him he was the editor of gnosis with richard smoley and he wrote that great book and that other book and uh and all of those comics that were that had naked people in them in the yes. 70s um, subversive anti-establishment yeah and I, and i met jay through freemasonry uh, we're really gonna have to start branching out and do episodes that have like no freemasonry at all someday like if we ever if we ever learn about other stuff um, and uh, so he I think introduced me to you online and uh, I wasn't among the first wave of your book people um, but I was there I think when I got there you had just finished the master mason portion the third degree portion mm. although I don't remember exactly it was a long time ago you know it was in a it was a long time 2000 ago. or 2001 well, I didn't actually make the first manuscript available uh-huh. publicly until 2000. 
Okay. So the actual, I started writing the material sometime in the late 90s. Okay, so I must have gotten it after you'd made it available, because I wasn't even a Mason until 2000. Ah, Um, But, uh, you know, I too was hoping to get some sort of esoteric journey out of Freemasonry and had a lot of frustration in finding that. Uh, And by the time I got to your book, I had already been working with... um, Donald Michael Craig's Modern Magic, and I believe I had also already read uh, John Michael Greer's Magical Lodge. So I was sort of familiar with some of the approaches you were taking to visualization and stuff, where I immediately associated them with uh, the Magical Lodge stuff and with the, uh, you know, sort of the Golden Dawn style lodge stuff, which me, you know, which made sense to me i have always so so to me it was really fascinating i was already in the middle of another practice or 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 working through another practice so it was hard to fit it all in i i i incorporated some of your stuff and i i kind of started doing more and more of the contemplative masonry stuff as i drifted away from the golden dawn style thing uh, and used it in the same sort of way and found it to be very effective i thought it was really interesting and I loved that. I loved how mysterious you had to be about the whole thing. You know, the the whole fear of of uh, the conservative Texas Masonic mindset. And yeah. so, so that part I thought was a really interesting part of the story. And I loved your pseudonym. Your what was it? Uh, Thomas St. John, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, years later, I came across somebody using that on Facebook as a pseudonym. And I was like, is that Chuck? It was not Chuck. It was another Mason <laughs> who just didn't want to use his real name <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was mine. When when you published it, so so your decision to publish this book and your, you know, using your real name uh, was really significant to me because, or I felt like it was very significant for Texas Freemasonry because it meant either you had stopped being afraid of the conservative element of Freemasonry in Texas, or they had lost so much power that you never that you no longer felt threatened by them. Yeah. Uh, which was it? Um, I think I had I think I had lost my personal fear mm-hmm. um, a lot earlier. Um, I you know. I, I had kind of come to a place where I was more or less okay with the fact that, you know, I mean, I was, I was giving talks, um, in lodges and stuff like that. And, 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 and talking about these, these spiritual disciplines that could be applied to Freemasonry. And, and, um, and so it's, it's not like I really had anything to hide anymore, Mm -hmm. but, um, but what I was concerned about was that the message itself um, might get shut down if if the publication was done in a more traditional way, with a named author in a hard copy, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was publicly available. I, I was concerned at, for a long time that um, you know that. That something like that might be looked upon as um, inappropriate for for law-abiding Freemasons to uh, to consume, mm-hmm. 
and, um, and, and things have just changed. Things are very different in the fraternity now than they were in 2000. Oh, for sure. And, uh, yeah. And, and certainly very different than they were in 1988 when I was initiated, passed and raised. And, um, and, and so what I see now is that there are lots of guys coming to the fraternity. A lot, I mean, you know, we talk about the millennials a lot of times, and it's not just millennials that are doing this. A lot of guys are coming to the fraternity now looking for the same thing. They're looking for a contemplative experience. They're looking for mentoring in contemplative experience. Mm -hmm. um, they want to discover the hidden reaches of, of themselves. They want to discover the interconnectedness of themselves with other things, and certainly with deity. And, um, and that's what they're coming to the fraternity for. And I think that's always happened. Um, but the fraternity hasn't been in a place always where it would respond warmly to that particular quest. And, uh, and so the fraternity now, because of the membership issues that, that it has been suffering, is, is out of necessity, out of survival mode, opening itself up to more possibilities for how it can exist and flourish. Um, so there's there's perfect opportunity now to publicly say this can be a real part of your Masonic experience and there are brothers here who've been doing this who will support you and welcome you and um, and so you know do not be afraid you know move ahead yeah so that's interesting I have an anecdote related to that um, I've been doing a Kabbalah club at our local Scottish Rite. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things that's happened is some of the older Masons have come up to me and said, uh, I w came to Freemasonry looking for this 40 years ago, and nobody was doing it. And now finally people are... And in fact, when I brought it up, everybody would say, no, we don't do that here. And now here you are <laughs> talking about it. And there's... So my Kabbalah club is actually has quite a number of the older members Yeah, uh, have, been, have been attending. It really does. I was surprised to see that mm -hmm. for some reason. That's very cool. You know, one of the th in in the uh, Guthrie Scottish Rite, we have a, a pretty dynamic education program there where we offer um, lectures on the degrees and discussions. It's not just lecture, but discussions on the different degrees for returning members. Um, in addition to uh, having the Academy of Reflection, which is focused on contemplative experience, and we offer meditation sessions throughout the reunions. And I've had these old guys in the white hats come up that have been Masons for, some of them are, have the 50-year blue caps, right? Mm -hmm. And they come up to me and they say, you know, I've been, I've been doing this stuff my entire life. I'm, you know, I'm a member of this society this rosicrucian organization or this you know some other eric organization and i've been i've been doing these practices and i never thought that i would see a time when i could tell anybody in freemasonry about that and i'm so glad that i can do that now and i think on the one hand that's just beautiful and on the other hand it's also sad mm -hmm. and um 
but you know that isn't that often the way life is this that beauty and sadness are just right there two sides of the same coin oh geez chuck open another beer <laughs> actually, actually it, it is about <laughs> so uh, if, maybe we could take a commercial break at this point oh yeah uh we're going to commercial break commercial break i gotta go get one too all right <laughs> mute and we're back from break <laughs> da, da, da. See if we can get see if we can get the sound of my beer being poured. Oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, this is also an ASMR podcast. Did you get that? Oh yeah. That was great. I, I'm gonna do that too as soon as I <laughs> You guys are making me jealous. I want a beer. You can't have one. Yeah, no no beer for you. Look at the head on that. Nice. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Look at the head on mine. <laughs> no, wait. Wow. Never, never mind. It looks, it looks very minerally. <laughs> what, I already forgot. What are you drinking, Joey? Uh, right. This one is uh, actually from one of my favorite breweries and uh, yours, too, also, I think. Fort George in Astoria. Yes, oh, yeah. I love Fort George. Big Guns IPA. <laughs> or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm I'm still I'm still working on the same beer because it was a big bottle. <laughs> it, it's okay. You're, we know you're lightweight. Oh yeah, totally. Mm. All right, so <laughs> Chuck, I have another question. I wrote down some questions before the podcast, like any uh, okay. responsible. See, look at it. Look at my. Look at that. Yeah. Um, wow. My next question for you is: so y- you wrote contemplative masonry, like version one, it, and it was out by like two thousand. You said. Right. So it's been 17 years. What has changed in it? What have you added? What have you taken away? What did you realize is a horrible mistake? Did you drive any Masons insane with odd magical practices? <laughs> and you were like, I have not heard any. <laughs> Maybe I'll take that of summoning out at the third degree practice. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think happened to me, Eric? <laughs> I, I was just thought it was your hair, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, all the stuff that I took out of it is now being used by another esoteric order that does things that uh, are that bend to the left. Let me put it up. No, oh, the, the that's order all. of Dagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no. Um, so I didn't really take anything out. Uh, everything that had that had been in there originally stayed in. I mean, I did clean up some of the writing, um, but um, but mostly what I what I did was add things, and so I added two chapters um, to the original three. the The original book just had an introduction, which gave a it's it's the, basically the same introduction as in this book, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a kind of overview of the psychological model that I'm working with and that I see with, inherent within Freemasonry, and then um, and then it was three chapters that were um, uh, meditative practices, mindfulness practices, uh, other kinds of inner work corresponding to some major themes in each of the three degrees in the Craft Lodge. And um, and so what I added to that 
was two chapters, each of them based upon papers that I had written at different times during those 17 years, one on the psychology of Freemasonry. So I took the basic model that I had um, that I had written into the introduction and, base, and and just expanded it, actually got into more detail because, you know, in the, in the actual academic discipline of psychology, if you're going to say that something is a psychology or a theory of psychology, well, then there's certain criteria it needs to meet. There are certain questions that that theory needs to answer uh, or model needs to answer. Hmm. And so and so that's what I did with that paper. And that paper was originally written for the education program in, in the Guthrie Valley. Um, and, um, and that became my first chapter of the book. And the second chapter of the book was a paper that I originally wrote for um, a publication out of uh, San Marcos Lodge down in Tex down in South Texas, South Central Texas. Um, their their publication called the Emerald Tablet. What? And, uh, really? And, yeah. How long yeah, have they been yeah. doing that? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think they had been doing it for like a couple of years when I wrote this, and I think that was in 2013, maybe. Man, Freemasonry is getting weird, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I love yeah. it. This is great. By the way, if you ever get to visit San Marcos Lodge, you really need to go down there and see that lodge. Yeah, John Tolbert's done a great job of. Oh, oh is that John Tolbert's lodge? Of course, yes, he is. Yeah, uh, he is among. He is a prince among weird masons in Texas, I believe. He's, Man, uh, I'm telling you, the outside of that building, it looks like it looks like a you know like a tool shed on the Texas prairie out there mm -hmm. and then you walk inside and it's like you've stepped through some kind of astral portal <laughs> you know it's that's, like that's what? Really cool. what you know and you kind of look back outside and there's the other world Ooh. and it's like hey you know. is that the red is that the, <laughs> when you uh when you looked back outside there i saw the red book right behind you is that is that the one oh, with all yeah. the pictures it is oh, oh nice that's the good one oh, yeah yeah i'm jealous yeah <laughs> That's uh, that's a prized possession. I'm gonna have to integrate that jealousy later. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it together. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the first step is awareness, and you've already got that one. So, ah, <laughs> cheers to me. <laughs> mm. Cheers. Yeah. So, um, so the second chapter of the book is is um, this paper that I wrote for them, and it's and it's a straightforward approach to Masonic esotericism. And um, and it's basically just going through Masonic ritual and and looking for the ways that its own words point to the fact that Freemasonry offers an esoteric experience. And by esoteric, we mean it in the broader sense of an inward, internal experience, an experience of looking within oneself looking within the ritual for deeper meaning well here here i mean <laughs> i feel like those are the words in masonic ritual that everybody has trained themselves to ignore yeah yeah <laughs> exactly i mean you know i've even heard i've even heard some masons say oh you know Basically, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Uh, that's just all fancy window dressing. It's just it's just there to get you to think something special is going on. 
<laughs> There's nothing just to get you, here. Just move to get along. you in the door. Move along, move yeah, along. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> These are not the contemplative practices you are looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, we, all we need is, is, is bodies flipping pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and to be fair, it's not what everybody wants out of Freemasonry, you know. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. There's there's so many different flavors of Freemasonry, depending on where you go. And that, that, I don't think there's any right one. You know, I, I got I got myself personally. I got a little bit hoity toity and, um, you know, felt like I was very sophisticated. When oh, I, I can I can relate. <laughs> so, but then I came to a realization. It's different for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And it, it fills you can you can definitely find the group that fills the need for you as a yes. man. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the great things about the fraternity is that I can have these wonderful brotherly relationships with guys who have very very different desires for what they're getting out of the fraternity from me sure but we can still connect on this thing of caring about each other mutually respecting each other being able to have a good time with each other and and that's i think that's just fantastic i think that's one of the one of the the greatest things about freemasonry and something that sets it apart from almost well from any other esoteric organization or society that i know of for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that might be true, although I haven't had the inside experience in very in, in other societies, so that's but I imagine it's gotta be. It's interesting because when I went to Texas I uh I would I was initiated into a into a, an esoteric society there, which it was amazing going from Oklahoma City to Texas. <laughs> And finding this this you know Kabbalistic Golden Dawn style, it was a spinoff from BOTA group. Um, ultimately, I didn't stay in it long, but the people that I've I've made some lifelong, just amazing friends through it. Um, and it you know a couple of those are are Freemasons, mm. but we had that bond of Freemasonry, and yeah, it mm. stuck. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, actually, this this kind of gets to the final piece of my answer to Eric's question about what changed in the book. The one thing that I Jesus, added in terms a of long answer. Didn't we <laughs> did we start that question before the commercial break? I can't remember. <laughs> you know, I've been listening to y'all's podcasts, and I'm just trying to continue with the spirit of things that you've established. In the <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I can't be a long-winded son of a gun, you know, I'm not going to fit in. Oh, right? yeah, you're in, the, yeah, you're in the wrong spot. Except for Matt Anthony, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you run with it. It's going to be hard to edit out all of Matt's chatter. Um... I know, right? <laughs> yeah, your listeners really don't have any idea. I've been dumbfounded by just how – what a chatterbox he is. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, luckily, there's this great filter in our auto editing audio editing software. It's uh, – we call it the the Anthony filter. It just whoosh strips it all out. <laughs> all of his smart ass remarks. All of his heckling. I mean heckling really bad. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Good old Matt. Yeah. 
Now he's speechless. <laughs> um, I am now. <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous of your setup there, Matt. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, just this mic stand? Yeah. yeah. It looks like a professional thing. $12 on Amazon. You got to get some big headphones, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got him. He's got big headphones. They're just that's what, all the pod, what all the cool podcasts are these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Sorry, Chuck. So you're finishing the answer to the question, uh, what changed in 17 years? <laughs> We're going to call yeah, this, yeah, so the- this segment of the podcast is going to be called 17 Years in 17 Hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's great when a guest tries to keep keep the pod. the, the, the uh, Podcasters on track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, part of the deal is I've just been around you guys for so many years that it's like, you know, this is the one group of guys I'm with where I don't feel like the ADD guy. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the last thing is, um, and I talk about this in the preface of the book, is that a major discovery of my own in my own esoteric practice, my own spiritual practice during those 17 years was coming to a realization that the central theme of my life, and this is very much connected with my experience of the wise old man and the Jungian way of thinking or the holy guardian angel in the hermetic way of thinking, that that the that the unifying theme of my life was love and um and and so i added um an exercise to the master mason chapter that deals directly with experiencing love in a deeper broader way Mm -hmm. and um and and it and it fits entirely because the you know the a major portion of the Master Mason degree, a a significant element of the Master Mason degree has to do with providing him a working tool that is about love. And, and that had been a major omission. Once I saw it, once I had discovered this about myself, when I went back and revisited the material, I recognized that there was a major omission there, that that was such an important theme in the third degree that, that it needed to be addressed. And so that that then became a new part of, of the book. Interesting. That's really cool. Uh, but I do want to ask you a clarifying question. You think, you think maybe the boot, the Beatles might have influenced that idea? Oh, yeah, no doubt about yeah. it. Were you, in, <laughs> yeah. were you visiting Colorado when you had that realization? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so earlier on, we talked about associating the whole man or the whole person with the yes. holy guardian angel. And just now you associated the old wise man with the holy guardian angel. Uh, right. Are they? Well, I guess they both could be. But what's the what what is the whole what is the old wise man lacking? Well, in a yeah, that's interesting. In one sense, what the wise old man is lacking is innocence. Oh, um, yeah, is is innocence and ignorance. So and you, so, 
and so therefore the potential of discovery of of making mistakes of you know and some of them fortuitous and 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 the and the possibility of stumbling into something so like beautiful and unexpected and kismet and serendipity and all of those fun yeah words. And, and i think ideally the wise old man recognizes the need for those things and so makes a place for um you know for the child mm-hmm. for the um but uh, when a person kind of over identifies when the personality over identifies with its perception of or its idealized image of the wise old man then you know you run into a personality that can be kind of um, cold and dull and perfectly trying to trying to appear to be perfectly harmonious and integrated and 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 always possessed of equanimity and that sort of thing and hmm. um and that's a you know that's a farce that's not a reality for human beings in in this world and and so maybe there is occasionally a spiritual master or something like that i think that's more that those those kinds of things are more a work of mythical fiction than they are of actuality i think so it seems like the people that that i've met that portray that image of themselves are uh there's some ego problems there yeah that that, that show up later it, it's the people that i've met that are just you know normal folks that that happen to to also have do the spiritual thing and they're happy that they're the they're the by far more advanced than than the ones that I met who portray this mask, this image of the wise, all-knowing mage of whatever. You know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the the wisest, most integrated, most mature human beings that I know can really cut up and have a good time and can you know, fuck up big time in the process. And oh, we don't cuss on this podcast. John. Yeah. Yeah. This oh, is I a... know better. I know better. <laughs> Wait, do they cuss in Texas? I, did, I thought they didn't cuss in Texas. Oh, look, <laughs> we have been cussing. Don't you know, Texas? Let me tell you about Texas. <laughs> I think they did big cussing. I'm pretty sure they did. <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, speaking of, you know, stages of life, I was thinking, this last weekend, I was thinking of the uh, stained glass window in the blue room of the Guthrie Scottish Rite Temple. Oh, the three, the state, yeah, the stages of what you just said, the stages of life, yes. Stages of man, <laughs> stages of life. And I was thinking about it because my, my twin daughters had invited me to Washington State University to their campus in Pullman for Mother's Weekend because I, I couldn't make Father's Weekend. For work but uh they took me to a frat party <laughs> so i i'm standing in the middle of all of these frat kids that are just going it's you know it's like a giant not really a giant rave it was it's a very crowded dance floor area and i've got you know college kids just 
dancing all around and they're passing around bags of they called it wine but it was really franzia (laughs) there was was a, a band playing you know and i'm just like standing there just feeling this awesome youthful vibrant energy and remembering what that felt like and you know now i'm kind of like in the center stage and it's it's almost like that spark fades in some ways yeah but it it does and it doesn't and i was enjoying the energy but realizing it it, like that energy wasn't mine it's Mm. theirs and that's Mm. it was a really beautiful moment as i'm sitting there thinking about this and thinking about those stained glass windows at the guthrie temple and you know i uh I didn't get super wild and crazy like I would have back in the day, but I, I, you know, had a great time. Got to know a lot of the frat guys and had a good night. But it, it was interesting seeing, uh, you know, because you just don't see that as an adult male. You just don't see that spark of energy. Yeah. At its at its height, at a frat party, and people are drinking and dancing to crazy music. The, uh, you, yeah. you might see that often, Chuck, since you work. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we're really gets a lot of campus. That. I get to see more of that, yeah, than I think most people do. Yeah. Sure. It's inspiring. It really is inspiring. <laughs> Especially, make, you know, when all of that energy is, like, included with, you know, integrated with some really sharp minds. Some of these kids are, my God, they're smart. They are. Yeah. And you just want them to not get caught in the box of life. Boy, no kidding. <laughs> like, just do this. It doesn't matter. Forget about the money. Just run with it. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. They're all going to get caught in the box. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, not all of them. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Chuck Dunning the author of Contemplative Masonry, Basic Applications of Mindfulness, Meditation, and Imagery for the Craft. You can find Chuck's book on Amazon in paperback, hardback, or ebook form. And you can find us, My Alchemical Bromance, on the web at myalchemicalbromance.com. Thanks for listening, and come back soon for part two of our interview. Thank you.